masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, the less you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us just don't know to what degree Where would we be without THC? The highest side chat show Carl Wood and Company Higher side chatters, we should be well aware by now that through most of human history, the power pyramid's capstone cabal has thought of us as little more than an exploitable resource. A resource trained from cradle to grave to arrive tired, do what we're told, break for lunch, and come back to obey a little more, only to line the pockets of the very same abusive fat cats who built this succubus of a system in the first place. And if that wasn't enough to give us the eyes to see the world's oligarchs as they are, they've also been kind enough to repeatedly inform us of their desire and plan to reduce the population and cull the herd. Prince Philip has expressed interest in reincarnating as a deadly virus. The mysteriously erected Georgia Guidestones call for a reduction of the global population to 500 million. Bill Gates received roaring applause for a Bilderberg presentation about his foundation's contributions to fewer people and Prince William gave a speech about there being too many damn Africans just last November. So given this context, why is it so hard for some people to wrap their heads around the idea that an elite who want us sick, weak, and fewer in numbers actually have plans to make that happen? Well, along with deadly pesticides on our food, toxic chemicals provided as our primary energy sources, and a tainted water supply, an ever-persistent campaign of ever-increasing vaccination is also a major ingredient in the shadowy puppet master's satanic soup of social order. And today we're joined by two fellow podcasters who have made this ruination by vaccination one of their primary areas of focus lately. You probably know Darren Grimes and Graham Dunlop from their popular show Gramerica, where they've hosted many a romp down the rabbit hole with many great guests, even being kind enough to have yours truly on back in 2014. It's long overdue, but I'm happy to return the favor now, so park your ass and pack your glass from the infamous igloo itself, the conspiratorial case-cracking Canadian co-pilots of the SS Gramerica, my <laughs> brothers from some other mothers, blowing minds with their powers combined. Fellas, how the hell are you? Good, buddy. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. It's worth it just for the intro alone. Yeah, exactly. That was a great intro, as always. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Yeah, it's a real treat to have you guys here. I definitely love the show you put on. We've shared a lot of fine guests over the years, and I'm sure we all feel lucky just to share the surface world with so many bright minds. But I've had you guys on my list of guests to get for some time. I just tend to gravitate towards knowing an episode is going to have some kind of focus. So when Darren emailed me and said that he's been digging deep into the vaccine topic and really making it part of his repertoire, I thought, Great, a perfect catalyst to make it happen, and here we are. And I'm sure we're going to end up all over the map, but to kick this off, Darren, why vaccines? With over 200 episodes, there's clearly a lot of threads on the conspiracy cardigan. Why prioritize this one? You know, it's kind of funny. It was one of the subjects that we weren't really going to get into in the beginning, because in the beginning, we had this sort of idea that we didn't want to rock the boat too much, <laughs> and we didn't want to get into too much personal stuff either at the same time. 
And back in, I think it was 2013, we tried to do an episode. Well, we did an episode. We didn't try to do an episode. We did an episode with Rappaport. Great guy. Yeah, we talked about vaccines then. And we actually got some pushback. And we didn't have a lot of listeners, and we got some pushback. It was funny because three years later, four years later, we did the show that I did a rant just on an intro because I had just watched a documentary again, a docu-series, and it kind of, I had watched an episode and it had me all riled up again. So we did an intro and I did a rant. And at this time, I'd say we had easily 50 times the listeners. You know, mm. It could even be 100 times the listeners that we had in 2013. And the pushback that we got was probably one-tenth of the feedback. So the feedback was now 90% was aligning with me and agreeing with my points, and only 10% was thinking that I was fucking crazy. But my whole journey happened because I had kids. Six years ago, I had my first kid. And to be honest, I should give my wife credit because if it wasn't for her, my kids would probably be vaccinated. I had my first kid. We didn't have the podcast yet. I wasn't really, I was listening to podcasts, but I hadn't really gone that far to get into the controversial side of things quite yet. So I was just blissfully unaware. Luckily, my wife was already aware. So she started mentioning some things, which kind of got the gears turning and going, and in the beginning, it was one of those choices that was made and those things, you know, but you didn't really talk about too much. Because, I mean, you even post a link on your Facebook and you get fucking, you get attacked. It's so <laughs> even, polarized. Yeah. Even by people that are your friends. Because, and I get it. I mean, whether, I don't know what it is. You know, maybe they vaccinated their kids and they don't want to feel bad for that. And I don't yeah. think anyone should feel bad for anything. I mean, that's kind of my main focus now is that I won't tell people whether or not they should vaccinate. That's not... Me, I'm not a doctor. I've got no training. I'm just a guy who's, you know, read a bunch of books and spent a few years now chasing down and looking at it. Because what happens is I start talking about it and then people ask me questions. And if I can't answer the question, then. Then you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. So I just kind of, especially over the last year or so, I've really just started compiling it all because I get more and more emails and I get more and more tweets or whatever of people just asking or. You know, what do you think? And, I, and I, I tend not to give advice because I think there's way too many variables. And I think that's part of the problem that medicine has cornered us into is this, that one size fits all medicine, which I think we're going to find out over the next couple of decades has been a huge mistake and that medicine needs to be highly specialized, mm -hmm. if not to the individual, at least down to probably their cultural backgrounds. Yes, it's I also been interesting timing with the culture and with the publicity of vaccines and how in California, and there's a lot of forced vaccination kind of happening and there's more and more research about the dangers of it and people are finding out more about the toxicity. So I think, you're, you know, your timing of your research is probably very applicable to what's going on as well. Yeah, I mean, and it's gotten to the point that I'm starting to, I mean, five or six years ago, you were reading the horror stories of what was coming. And now here we are, like literally only six years later, and I'm seeing it. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've got, whereas before there was really nobody that I knew personally in my life that, you know, and I'm right. not saying that these people are affected by vaccines, but people that are telling me stuff about their kids that is 
lining up with a bunch of stuff that I've heard over the years. Yes. And this is stuff that points specifically, like, you know, kids going to see gastrointestinalists and, and I'm not going to get into it too much, but it's, you know, the fact that, that I've got two or three instances of it uh, that are, you know, within six degrees of me now through a friend of a friend or a coworker of a friend or things like that is just, I, I can, I can literally see its prevalence starting to creep in, mm-hmm. in my personal life. Yeah, I agree. And it's unfortunate we have to deal with it. And there's also something that happens. I'm curious how you guys feel about this as fellow conspiracy podcasters, but there's this notion of responsibility. And as your show grows, you'll probably get emails from people saying it's very irresponsible for you to do a show on X, Y, or Z, or to present these kind of sensationalist claims about these things. And, you know, if I do a show about the flat earth and a couple people start becoming flat earthers and are convinced by the case, it doesn't really hurt them at all. You know, it might make for an awkward Thanksgiving, but, you know, their life is pretty much the same. Now, if I convince some people through the guests that I have that vaccines are dangerous, now we're getting into kind of an awkward territory for me. And so I did some research as well because I really wanted to feel okay, feel comfortable with allowing guests to make the anti-vaccine case. And, you know, I'm good with it. I definitely think there's Way more here than there are for a lot of conspiracies. It just seems pretty clear. We've had many whistleblowers suppressed, a lot of data suppressed. You can actually get a lot of insight just from the data that isn't there that should be, as you guys know. But I'm curious, has there been any awkwardness or repercussions for opting out of vaccines for you, Darren, in your kids' lives? Well, there might have been if I cared if they went to public school. (laughs) But... (laughs) I mean, school was never, it was kind of on the table, but we were going to homeschool for the first few years originally until they were eight. I think it's really important to to really watch who's taking care of your kids or who's molding their personality up until they're around eight years old. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of research that says by the time they're eight, their personality is pretty well put together. And then, you know, the more you look at it, it's just like, I mean, we're starting to see real data that homeschool kids and charter school kids and these kids are are actually doing better now at getting into secondary school and things like that. So once it's starting to become apparent that that generation of homeschool kids not being able to get into college and things like that being off the table, we just decided unless we get to the point where our kids say they want to go to school, we're welcome to homeschool them the entire time. Hmm. And I think that more people should. I really think that that homeschool or if not homeschool, I think that, you know, I think the whole government tricking us into or forcing us to get into the point where we had to have both parents working constantly and daycare, the whole, I think the whole daycare generation is going to swing around and bite us in the ass if it isn't already. Hmm. See, I don't have kids and I do think about that because it's probably coming in the next five years or so. We like to wait as long as we can, have as much fun as we can. And uh, the clock is ticking and, and I worry about those types of things. And what about the time commitment of homeschooling? There's probably some misconceived notions out there about it. Actually, that's been a bit of a surprise for us because so my oldest, she just went to nature kindergarten last year. You can only do that up till kindergarten in Canada, then you have to comply. And nature kindergarten is just sort of this program that they can get into. And there's only, I think there's less than a hundred kids in Calgary in it, but you can get into it and it's, they go and they're there for two days a week, six hours a day. And they're outside. If it's above minus 20, they're outside Mm -hmm. for at least four hours of the day. That's a beautiful thing. 
my oldest went to it and she loved it. So now this is kind of her grade one that we're starting with homeschool. And my youngest, she, we're going to th- put her in a year in nature school as well, because my oldest came out of it and now it's like, she's down to go outside and play no matter what weather. Man. And they don't give them a lot of toys and stuff either, right? So my kids will be in the backyard playing with sticks or old tubes or, you know, whatever. Just having a blast. The youngest still has a little bit of trouble with the cold, but my oldest is super resilient to go play outside regardless of what the weather is. And I and I 100%, I mean, my wife and I have always been, especially my wife, because she's able to stay at home, fortunately. So she's always been taking them hiking and things like that. But nature kindergarten, big time got them into outside. That's very cool. Yeah. So now this is grade one, just starting. And it was super overwhelming to get started and going on everything. And oh my God, are we going to fuck our kids up? And yep. and like I say, it's my wife that does like 99% of the work, Lisa. So God bless her. So in the beginning, it's you know five days a week, six hours a day and no, oh, go, go, go. And you quickly realize that in the one-on-one environment, they're learning so fast that we're down to like three hours a day. Wow, that is awesome. And that's something I don't think people think about is the one-on-one aspect of it. Yeah, that's got to be huge. So get this, just as a little add-on. So they do school together. My oldest is six and my youngest is four. So my youngest watches my oldest do her math. And the other day she started being able to do addition of like three plus three or two plus three. or wow. So she can do a bit of addition there. And then we did, I was actually talking to Graham because we do these little trivia contest shows for our supporters where we have a guy come on and we'll do a little trivia contest. And one of the questions was, how many hearts does an octopus have? And we all got it wrong. And I went in the house and I was just like, I'm going to ask my my oldest because she's a big animal nut. So I said, how many hearts does an octopus have? And she said, oh, they have three. And she walks away. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, man. That's probably something a lot of people feel a little more comfortable after hearing because I don't want to put my kids through the ringer of the public school system, especially here in America. But I'm also so worried about doing it the other way and taking full responsibility for that. I don't want to make them some crazy conspiracy nut prepper either. So it's a delicate balance. Yeah. And Alberta set up pretty good. So like we align with, it's called the Phoenix Foundation. So we have to show them our curriculum and we can sort of set it up however we want. And we're able to put in a lot of native things and native teachings because I'm native. So I still prefer Indian, but whatever. I don't think you're allowed to say that in the States. You're part native, right? (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm part native. Yeah. 50%, 40%. (laughs) But yeah, so we're able to totally teach, but there's certain things that have to be a part of it, like math and things like that. But there's so much out there these days, Greg, like we just subscribed to a thing for her math is it was like $30 and it's a little grade one adaptive math kit. It does it all because my wife's not real good. It's not math isn't a strong subject to hers. So she's able to do this adaptive math and especially trying to teach math to a kid, right? Because you're not quite sure how to do that. Reading and things like that are a little bit easier. But there's so many resources out there for homeschooling these days in Canada, at least. I don't know about in the States, but in Canada, it's still fairly easy. Right on. Yeah, it's great that there are so many tools out there. I know Randall Carlson also is involved in making curriculum for kids for homeschooling, which is a great thing for him to be doing because he's a hell of a mind. Yeah, I've been trying to get him to give my kids a little course when they're a little bit older. (laughs) That's awesome. What a treat. So 
if we were going to talk about vaccines a little deeper and maybe start with some of the history, how far back did you go when you were looking into this stuff? Well, I didn't quite go all the way back to smallpox. The smallpox one, I just found it's way back there and the whole cowpox thing and you, the whole smallpox thing seems pretty fucking sketchy to me. And the big thing for me was like, it, I think it was 67 when they instituted like the stringent smallpox vaccinations. And then like three years later, they got a spike to like six, seven times the amount of smallpox. So I don't know a whole lot about smallpox. I sort of jump in more around the 50s. And that's when I argue that access to power, refrigeration, food, heat, cleanliness, clean water, and all that became a staple in most of North America. Mm -hmm. And this is also happens to coalesce with the time that you'll see a lot of these diseases, measles, whooping cough, diphtheria, smallpox. I mean, if you look at any of them by 1950, you're pretty much flatlined at between zero and three deaths per 100,000. And if you look at a chart, say from the 1850s to the 1950s, you're going to look at some of these diseases are up in the 100 or 160 people per 100,000 dying. The measles, for example, is instituted in 68. You're already... The vaccine was instituted? Yeah, the vaccine was instituted in 68. You're already losing basically zero people per 100,000. I think at that time you were losing about one in 10,000 measles infections would result in death. Hmm. So out of four, approximately four or five million measles cases per year in the U.S., you're having four to 500 deaths, which works out to one ten thousandth or one one hundredth of one percent. So it seems like vaccines got a lot of credit for things that maybe should go to just lifestyle changes and cleanliness changes, huh? Yeah, I mean, and when you start looking at the polio one, too, I mean, that's the everyone goes to, right? But polio. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, If you start really looking at the polio stuff, there's some interesting correlations with DDT use and production in the USA causing similar things. And actually, if you look at the polio versus meningitis numbers, it looks like you could almost account for polio just with fucking pesticides and change in diagnosis. Right. And that's super interesting because I watched the documentary Vaxxed and one of the first things they talk about just in passing, because it has a pretty singular focus on the MMR vaccine, but they make one comment in their little history roundup that a vaccine in Canada was shown to cause meningitis. And so they quickly got rid of it and swept all that under the rug. And I thought, well, that's interesting because they said it was in the 80s and I was born in 85. And when I was three years old, I got meningitis. And the story is that I was playing around in some dirty pond water, but who knows how I actually got meningitis. And at the age of three, I mean, that's right in that window when you're getting a lot of vaccines in a decade where they specifically said this was caused by some vaccines. Wow. And I've been deaf in my right ear my whole life since three years old. And I also have terrible allergies, which is another thing they say is due to possibly due to vaccines. There's some correlation there. Did you have the allergies all your life? 
uh, many, many years, but it's hard to remember where it started. I have as well. I have to. I take uh, an allergy pill every day, mm. and I never used to. Mine didn't kick in till I was about twenty nine or thirty, which is another later life onset allergies is another side effect or reported side effect. I mean, the problem is like 90% of the studies that you're going to cite that have any sort of anti-vax nature to them are going to get retracted really quickly. And a lot of people are going to try and tell you that that's because maybe there isn't sound science going on. I would argue that that's probably got more to do with somewhat of a medical cabal (laughs) and a whole lot of censorship. Absolutely. I mean, if people don't know the story of the polio vaccine, just the fact that Alton Oshner, this doctor who is kind of the head of that campaign, a major stockholder and previous president of the National Cancer Society, he was championing this vaccine. And this woman, Bernice Eddy, discovers that it's actually got all these monkey viruses in it because they were using monkey kidneys to test and develop the vaccine. She finds this SV40 virus, which, yeah. you know, SV stands for simian virus, and they call it SV40 because they found 39 other viruses. But this one, she seemed to think was related to cancer. So here you have this guy who's making a lot of money in the cancer industry, promoting a vaccine that potentially turns into cancer in people in a few decades into their lifespan. And to quiet the fears of people, he called in a bunch of people to a conference room and he injected his own grandchildren on stage with the polio vaccine, killed his grandson within 48 hours and gave his granddaughter polio. I mean, this is this is the kind of person we're talking about. And all of our parents were of similar generations. I think all of our parents remember standing in lines for these sugar cubes and these polio vaccines that they were given at school. And then sure enough, you look at the data a few decades later, this huge spike in soft tissue cancers. And then you have this woman who at the time was saying, yeah, this is going to happen. And sure enough, it's happened. Add to it the suppression of cancer cures and you got a real conspiracy soup here. Yeah, I actually wasn't going to go into the SV40. I don't push into that too much. I'm familiar with it all. I just find that when I start getting into that, people start glazing. I mean, I'm 100% with you on the connection. And I think that that SV40 could possibly, if we can ever get some real research done, that it could be held responsible for maybe 50 to 100 million cases of cancer one day. Yeah. But yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, the one thing I was going to start with, we should maybe cycle back to quick. The one thing that, that really triggered me and got me thinking, okay, something is completely fucked up here, is that if you go to the doctor and he malpractices you or misdiagnoses you and and you get sick or something from that, you're able to sue your doctor. Your doctor has insurance. You can sue him. If you go to the restaurant and they give you rotten meat and you eat it and you get sick, I'd assume you can sue the restaurant. If someone hits you with your car, you can sue them. So you'd assume that if vaccine manufacturers were making vaccines that were hurting people or killing people or anything like that, that you'd have some sort of legal repercussions against them. So it turns out that in 1986, that all went away. Which is interesting because it's after what Greg was mentioning. That's right. So as, as of 1986, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act was passed. So basically, anytime after that, 
the pharmaceutical manufacturers producing vaccines were freed from any and all liability resulting from a vaccine injury or death. So basically what that means is that theoretically a vaccine manufacturer could fill up a thousand or a million doses of fucking rat poison and they couldn't be held criminally or civilly liable. They are unsuable. What happened is they lobbied Congress and said that the vaccine manufacturing facilities were breaking down and they needed to be upgraded. And they weren't going to bother upgrading the facilities because they were being sued too much. And it doesn't make any sense to build this infrastructure to make a fucking vaccine if you're just going to keep losing all your money. There's no profit in it because you're spending all your profit in court and paying out fucking lawsuits. And didn't they use it as an excuse? For, they needed help for bio-warfare? Well, like this that, is or? at the height of the Cold War. Yeah. So Congress mm-hmm. was worried about if there's a bio-attack, the facilities won't even exist to make the fucking vaccines. So Congress panicked and passed the Vaccine Injury Act, which now said that the Manufacturers couldn't be sued. So the $7 billion a year industry is now can't be sued. There's no real hiccup other than your research and development and maybe your safety studies. I don't know how much money you bother putting into safety studies if you can't be sued. Mm-hmm. I'd argue you put more money into safety studies if you're liable for all the stuff that you're injecting into 4 million kids a year. Of course. But people are going to say, but you hear about people getting sued all the time or getting payout for vaccine injury. So what they had to do, they know they have a problem. They can't just make it go away. So what they start doing is they start adding a 75 cent excise tax onto every vaccine, which are already paid for by tax dollars. So they throw another 75 cent excise tax on that. Into the compensation fund? Yeah. So this 75 cents now from every every vaccine sold in America, if that's an MMR vaccine, which has three doses in it, that's going to be 75 cents times three to $2.25. So think 26 doses in the first five years of life, 4 million kids born a year, 75 cents. So 75 cents from this tax goes into this pot. It's called the Vaccine Injury Compensation Fund. And it quietly pays out between three and $400 million a year to vaccine injured people. The entire cost of the court is paid for by the taxpayer and the buyouts, everything. The vaccine manufacturers pay nothing. So these people are getting paid out since its inception in 1986. It's paid out closing in on $4 billion Hmm. to vaccine injured people. Here's the problem. Most of the fucking people getting payouts are adults because the adults are able to go in and say, I felt this, this, this. I got the vaccine. I felt that, that, that. My doctor says I was this, 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 I got the vaccine, I was that, that, that. My boss says I was this, 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 I got the vaccine, I was that, that, that. My wife, I was this, this, this. Well, with the kids, we don't have that. The kids can't speak for themselves. They can't defend themselves. Right. By the time there's an even slight chance that they're able to start talking, they've already been pumped with, you know, 26 doses of 16 vaccines. So... When I started realizing that, that there's absolutely no liability, and if you look at the safety studies that most of these vaccine manufacturers are citing, they were done at a time when we only had half as many vaccines as we have right now. That's kind of what left me sitting uneasy, and that's kind of what got me going. Because as soon as the government steps in and says that people can't be sued and is 
mandating and if not mandating at least very strongly strong arming parents into getting these shots over the country then it makes me think something's up amen and if nothing else it makes me think that you know the cdc's been co-opted and a bunch of people are making a bunch of money and you know maybe the government is oblivious Mm -hmm. yeah it is so messed up because clearly there's an acknowledgement that some people are damaged from this, even in the mainstream. I think most people that you ask will acknowledge that, sure, maybe a small, small, small fraction of a percentage are damaged because of that philosophy that blanket cures aren't going to work for everyone. But knowing that, how can you make this mandatory? Actually, just a quick comment there that that funny that because the number I've heard touted around in the mainstream is about one ten thousandth, one in ten thousand, hmm. which is about the rate of the people that were dying from measles. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's another point. Yeah, I mean, is it worse than the actual disease? Especially considering we're seeing all these studies now that are showing that, you know, actual real immunity to measles that you get from having measles is actually maybe preventing cancer and these other things later in life because you're actually building a real immune system instead of a pretend immune system. I like to use the analogy of a garden. If you can look at someone's nice outside fucking garden in California, let's call it a a pot garden for the audience. (laughs) I would take an outdoor, nice Cali fucking outdoor garden over somebody's under the stair fucking LED grow any day. I'm sure you get some decent buds out of the LED grow. But it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. I think the same sort of thing happens with immunity. If you try and cheat it with some man-made mumbo-jumbo, you're just not doing the same as a couple million years of evolution of your immune system is designed for. I agree. I always try to stay with nature when in doubt of the medical system. Of course, when you get really sick, sometimes you got to go in and get something. But... As much as you can stay away from it, I think it's best just to distance yourself from the whole damn thing. When you buy a new computer, do you right away just open it up and start changing parts and poking things? (laughs) I don't. Well, here's the thing. If we had the best mortality rates, infant mortality rates in the world, then I would say sure. You know, we've got these great infant mortality rates. Our kids are dying less than kids born in other parts of the country. But when the United States comes in at 32 or 33 for infant mortality and Canada comes in at 28 and France comes in at 22 and Switzerland 23, UK at 24, there's a problem. Where are the top 10? The top 10 are Iceland, Finland, Slovenia, Luxembourg, Norway, Japan, Estonia, Sweden, Czech Republic, and Italy. Hmm. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to get it into, into it here. But if you go and check the vaccine schedules of those countries, you're going to find that they're a lot less, they're a lot more spread out, and there's a lot more choice. Mm. So I'm not even saying that vaccines are terrible. There's a chance that maybe some of these vaccines could be doing us some good. We've just gotten so excited and crammed so many of them together without doing any real science that we're going to end up fucking up big time. And then we're going to maybe miss something that could have been helpful, you know, because we were worried about fucking chicken pox. 
chicken pox. I mean, chicken pox is even worse. I mean, I think the numbers on chicken pox were something like at its height where four or five million kids infected per year and around a hundred dying, which is less than one. And that's like one in 50,000. So now the chicken pox is actually one of the vaccines that works really well. And it doesn't have aluminum in it, which is a big problem. Aluminum is a big problem. But the, the chicken pox vaccine is done with the virus. It works pretty well. But now we have this weird side effect all of a sudden that no one gets chicken pox anymore, but a way, way, way more people are getting shingles when they hit their 30s. Well, it turns out that there's some studies now that are showing that, well, when all our kids had chicken pox, I had chicken pox. I'm sure you had chicken pox. I'm a weird case. I actually didn't have chicken pox. Oh. And I know that's a, I know that's a concern and that I might be on my deathbed any day. <laughs> but That's okay. So anyway, it turns out that when, and I mean, you could still even be immune because I'm sure you would have been exposed to it. At, I'm sure there's a certain percentage of the population that can't get it. But anyway, it turns out that when all these kids had chicken pox, because the, the herpes zoster and the chicken pox, varicella, are very closely related. So it turns out that when your kids had chicken pox, when I had chicken pox, I was giving my mom and dad a booster shot against getting herpes zoster or shingles. Hmm. Well, now that's not happening anymore. So now we need a fucking shingles vaccine to stop us from getting shingles. God. Seems so backwards. It's a bad approach to this stuff. Yeah. All at the same time, there's still zero attention to diet. Yes. Amen. Cheers to that. I think diet, of course, is one of the biggest factors. And the fact that so few doctors actually take courses, lengthy, detailed courses in nutrition is just asinine to me. I mean, this is what we're putting in our body. That's the real medicine is your nutrition. That's right. But anyway, so if we were to talk about maybe just a couple specific vaccines, which ones do you think are the most concerning? Which ones set off the most alarm bells to you? Well, the, the first one is hep B. And you'll hear a lot of the doctors that are starting to get involved in the informed consent movement, which is more what I'm pushing for, real, real informed consent. And if you're in a major city in the U.S. and you do some digging around in this day and age, you can probably find a pediatrician who's doing some more vaccine choice and some more informed consent. I know there's some, some good ones in Portland and Seattle and some places like that. And these guys are starting to have practices with, you know, 10, 12, 15,000 patients because so many people are wanting to, you know, at least slow down. But anyway, so they introduce hep B. There's a couple ways you can get hep B. I'd argue three. One is having sex. Two is sharing a needle. And the third would be being born to a mother that has hep B. If you were to be born to a mother that has Hep B in the U.S., I would say that we would know, we should know before the child is born. Maybe then we would vaccinate that child against Hep B. I think the current rates in the U.S. are around 1 in 200 or 250, if that. But other than that, the chances... So if the mother doesn't have Hep B, the chances that kid's going to be exposed to Hep B, at least until they're a teenager, are, are almost zero. Mm-hmm. But they still made this decision to start injecting every baby born in America within the first 12 hours of life with his hep B shot. 12 hours? Yeah. <laughs> so the ironic part is that by the time the child hits, you know, 13, 14, 15 sexual maturity, they need a booster shot because it's worn off. <laughs> 
So that's kind of the one that makes me, it just seems completely pointless. Yeah. So that's the one that I have, you know, the other ones, it's harder to tell people not to get because you don't want to be that guy that tells them not to get it. And then they end up getting the disease. Hep B is not a disease that you really contract from a virus. Right. So like, geez, 12 hours, just enough time to cut off the tip of your dick, stab you with a needle and send you home, huh? That's right. And then, so the the trouble with that one to me is that it's got 225 micrograms of aluminum hydroxide in it. Now, aluminum, not aluminum hydroxide, but aluminum classified by the FDA is allowable to be ingested or breathed in or gone through sort of the the traditional means of entering the bloodstream where it's incredibly hard to enter the bloodstream. You have to either go through a bunch of different layers of stomach or through the lungs or ways like that. But historically, it should be our body's kind of designed to make it real hard to get things directly into our bloodstream. So the FDA has come out and said that aluminum is bad for you and it'll hurt your brain. If you have any more exposure than five micrograms per kilogram per day, then you start bordering on neurological damage areas. So at five micrograms per kilogram per day, if we took, say, a five kilogram baby, a little on the big side, but it's easy to do math with, that's going to be about 10 pounds for US people. A kilogram is 2.2 pounds. That's going to be about a 10-pound baby, pretty hefty. So at five micrograms per kilogram per day, five times five, 25 micrograms of aluminum. The Hep B shot's got 225 micrograms of aluminum. So that's a big problem to me, especially when you start looking at the second, you know, you go back and get a bunch of shots when you're two months old. And then when you're four months old. So the two-month-old visits, you're coming in more at like 20 times the allowable amount of aluminum. So you're like 800 micrograms. And then when you go in for your six month, you're at like 50 times. You're over a thousand micrograms. Of aluminum. So you're actually into a, so what's above a microgram? A milli, you're actually into the milligrams of aluminum now. Damn. So now I do have people sometimes they'll say, oh, well, aluminum and aluminum hydroxide aren't the same thing. So I was just going to read a quick little thing here from drugs.com on the side effects of aluminum hydroxide. Okay. Severe stomach pain or constipation, bloody, black, or tarry stools, coughing up blood that looks like coffee grounds, pain when you urinate, extreme drowsiness, tired feeling, loss of appetite, and muscle weakness. Great. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, especially when you hear of kids coming home after getting the shots and sleeping for three days or crying with pain uncontrollably, and that's all normal, and the seizures, that's all normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to have more and more trouble thinking that that stuff is normal when I start looking at aluminum hydroxide side effects and they say that, and then we're ejecting this. It also says to take this medication with a full eight ounce glass of water. Hmm. I don't think they do that. No, they definitely don't do that. So the hep B is one of the main ones for me. Anything with aluminum in it, I think is bad. If people just head over to Wikipedia and search for the vaccine ingredients, they're that easy to find. These things aren't top secret. 
And you can go through them there and you'll see the ones that have aluminum phosphate, polysorbate 80, which is specifically designed to carry things across the blood-brain barrier. Right. Some of the flu shots still have thimerosal in them, which is mercury, and a lot of formaldehyde. God. A lot of formaldehyde and a lot of these things are still growing in or they're still using the monkey tissue Aborted fetal lung tissue is a really big one. I had a list here of all the different vaccines that had aborted lung tissue in them. My main problem with aborted lung tissue isn't aborted. Well, isn't to me, I'm not going to turn into a pro-life or whatever argument. To me, it's I think that putting aborted tissue into the body of a human being who's in the process of building a body, there should probably be some DNA research done there. Oh, yeah. Because I, th- I think that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. And that's really all I'm asking for is real studies. Right. Amen. I agree. I'm not looking for an emotional argument. I'm looking for data. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, we don't get that data that they should be having on, on record. But I'm curious, do you have, by chance, the vaccine schedule handy that you could read us? Because when you hear it all back to back, it is pretty alarming. Yeah. So the USA at birth or within the first 12 hours of life, you get that hep B shot. You also get it at month two and at and between six and 18. So that's three different hep B shots. Then at two months, you get tetanus, rotavirus, polio pneumococcal, pertussis, hib, and diphtheria. Two different diphtherias. Those are all at two, four, and six months. So then at one year, you get varicella, rubella, pneumococcal, mumps, measles, hib, hepatitis A, and then at 18 months, you get another tetanus, pertussis, diphtheria at 20 months or 30 months, sorry. Influenza. Influenza one's scary too because the influenza still got thimerosal in it. So the countries that are kind of following that schedule are Canada, France, Germany, Italy. Japan has actually backed off a lot lately, especially with MMR. The UK, let me pull up the other one here and I'll give the breakdown of what it's been by year. So in 1962, we had a total of five doses of three vaccines, polio, smallpox, DTP. In 1983, we had a total of 24 doses of 10 vaccines. They were uh, DTP at two months, OPV at two months, DTP at four months, OPV at four months, DTP six months, MMR 15 months, so on and so forth. So then in 86, we come out with the new legislation that says vaccine manufacturers can't be sued. Now, I'll just read off from, I'll just go up to five years of age. Well, there's 72 now. There's there's 72 (laughs) total doses by the time you're 18 now. I'll just do five because I think once you're 18, you can make your own choices. I think a bunch of people made a choice to get a flu shot this year that might not make that choice next year. Mm -hmm. So they wanted you to do influenza, which again is a problem. It still has thimerosal in it. 
during pregnancy, DTAP during pregnancy, Hep B at birth, Hep B at two months, rotavirus at two months, DTAP at two months, Hib at two months, PCV at two months, percussus, IPV at two months, rotavirus at four months, DTAP four months, Hib four months, PCV four months, Hep B six months, rotavirus six months, DTAP six months, Hib six months, PCV six months, IPV six months. So the HIV, PCV, those are all combinations. Same with the DTAP. That just means there's three or four different vaccines crammed into one for your vaccine pleasure. <laughs> Double your pleasure, double your fun. Yeah, sometimes even triple. So then you get influenza at six months, influenza at seven months, Hib at 12 months, PCV, MMR, varicella, Hep A, all at 12 months. At 18 months, you get another DTAP, influenza, and Hep A. At 30 months, another influenza. 42 months, another influenza. Another DTAP, IPV, MMR, and varicella at four years. And then you're just influenza until your teens where they start wanting to hit you with that HPV shot, which is one that I strongly, strongly, strongly suggest that parents take a real strong look at if your parents are approaching that age. Mm -hmm. If your kids are approaching that age. Because there is uh, research, and I mean real research, not kooky research, that is looking like the HPV vaccine might literally be causing more cervical cancer than it's preventing. Right. Yeah. I've seen that data. Then there's, there's been a couple of whistleblowers on the issue. They're always quickly suppressed, discredited, and disbarred. And one of them was on the HPV specifically. And I thought, I believe it was a female. I thought she was quite credible. And it is a real shame that the way they handle these issues is by suppressing anyone who thinks there's an issue rather than just checking to see if there really is. Yeah, it's, it is a real shame. That's just it. But you make a great point about the legislation going through that bars vaccine manufacturers from being sued. And then all of a sudden the, the numbers explode to 72 because they have a financial incentive. I've even said, let's take eugenics off the table and just say that Maybe half of these are saline solution. They're just nothing but salt water. Like there's an incentive to give you more and more vaccines because they're unquestioned and they're profitable. Mandated. Exactly. So even if they're not necessarily harmful. And then, of course, you said earlier, you're not saying they're all bad. And that's exactly true. That's how you obscure the data. Only one of them needs to be bad. I actually think you know, there's a handful that are highly, highly suspect. But when you're getting 72 shots... You only have to have four or five or six that are weaponized that are going to confuse everyone because there's so much being thrown into these kids. You can't separate it all out. And then this is why we have the problems we have. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of like weird sort of cross stuff, too. Like, I mean, on the CDC's own website, they say that formaldehyde is a carcinogen. But it's in such small doses and vaccines that you don't have to worry about it. Right. <laughs> Man, and so... You know, where do you put the blame for all this? Who do you hold ultimately responsible? Of course, the CDC, Merck, and Glasgow Smith-Klein, but is there anyone else to look at? I don't currently go much farther than bad corporate decisions and money just for the simple fact that for what I'm trying to do, the shady cabal doesn't help. Mm -hmm. So if you just kind of look at who runs and who has been running the CDC. Check out the last few directors of the CDC and where they went after the CDC or where they came directly from before the CDC. 
And you can just go and check for yourself instead of hearing it from me and find out pretty quickly that it's basically a revolving door back and forth between the vaccine manufacturers and the pharmaceutical industry and the organization that's supposed to be protecting us. And I say us because Canada and a lot of these countries are just referring to the CDC. Right. I mean, by the CDC's own website as well, autism rates in 2000 were 1 in 50, and in 2012, they're 1 in 68. That's from the CDC. Oh, yeah. And in Vax, they have some really scary stats about getting into 2020, and like 1 in 2 boys will be dealing with some kind of autism spectrum situation. And that's, of course, a number that is like really hard to fathom. But when you see the trend moving from where it was just to where it is now, that alone is super alarming. And it's scary that we have this issue that's like a runaway freight train for kids. And there really is just no solution. They say, well, it's not vaccines. Okay, well, what the fuck is it? Because you don't have any answers. Well, yeah, that's just it. I mean, I think the the late 70s, you were like one in 10 or one in 12,000 for autism. Now, I'm sure a lot of that can have to do, the CDC won't go back that far, but that's what the numbers were in the 70s. If you can look it up, a lot of people will say that we've made the spectrum now, so we're catching a lot more autism. Well, you go take a look at the parents who are saying that their kids were vaccine injured and got autism from their vaccine aren't cases of autism that we would have missed. We're talking about 30-year-old men or whatever that are still living at home that We'll never get it past that. You don't miss that. We're not talking about people in the basement, you know, playing Minecraft all day or things like that. We're not talking about, you know, the fringy spectrum people that are really good at coding and things like that. We're talking about autism spectrum to the point that you can't lead a normal life and you need full-time care. So yeah, it's, it's insane. And I don't think, you know, there's a real good chance that it's not all vaccines, but we got to look at it. Because it's not just autism. If you look at autism, asthma, ADHD, learning disabilities, it's all fucking coming up right now. I had a little thing I had jotted down here the other day. So right now in the U.S., we're up to 1 in 400 with diabetes, 1 in 50 with autism, 1 in 9 with asthma, and 1 in 6 with a learning disability. Not to mention the jump in anxiety disorders, bipolar, inflammatory bowel syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, all this stuff that is going to slowly, I think, start getting tied back. And I don't think it's everyone. I think it's a percentage of the population that are just being sacrificed for the greater good, I guess. They'd say that. Yeah, they would. And I would would tend to disagree because like you say, when you look at those numbers that are going to be approaching, you know, one in 10 there's a problem. And if we don't, it might already be too late to really fucking reel it in. But if we don't start taking a look at it soon, then we're going to be in real trouble. And and I mean, the aluminum just seems to be part of it. I mean, there's a study that's going to come out in the Journal of Trace Elements in Medicine and Biology. It's going to come out in the March edition this year that has a study on the brains of 10 people who passed away that had autism and their brains were donated to science, every single one of them had at least one or more lobes of their brain with four to eight times the amount of aluminum that is in a normal or a benign amount 
because technically there probably shouldn't be a normal amount of aluminum in the brain. Anyway, this study is going to come out in March. I'm sure it's going to get redacted very quickly. Retracted. Retracted, sorry. It'll be in volume 46, the March 2018, pages 76 to 82. So everyone's welcome. When that comes out, you can find it online now through sciencedirect.com and a few places like that. But this to me, and even if you look at the ratio from boys to girls, this could be the start of bulletproof evidence that aluminum is causing autism. Autism. Hmm. So I'll just read the conclusion here quickly for your audience. Conclusions. We have made the first measurements of aluminum and brain tissue and autism spectrum disorder, and we have shown that the brain aluminum content is extraordinarily high. We have identified aluminum and brain tissue as both extracellular and intracellular with the latter involving both neurons and non-neuronal cells. The presence of aluminum in inflammatory cells in the meninges and vasculature, gray and white matter is a standout observation and could implicate aluminum in the etiology of autism spectrum disorder. This will come out next month. I'll email you this link too if you want to put it in the show notes. Sure, absolutely. And that's just the aluminum aspect of it. And then you've got the whole MMR thing, which I would argue seems to be the combination of the viruses, three viruses that I would argue you have a 0% chance of contracting naturally at the same time in real life. Measles, mumps, and rubella, two of which are non-fatal. And even measles is, I would argue measles is a non-fatal disease, 999 9% of the time, at least 99.9% of the time, probably 99.99% of the time. (laughs) But it seems like, and I don't get into MMR so much, but that's kind of the one I'm just starting to cross over into because I, I find there's enough out there on MMR already that it doesn't really need me. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sort of spending my time looking at the other stuff, but it seems like the MMR is, you know, that combination of diseases is causing some sort of superheating or something, the high fevers and that, which could also be relating to, uh, uh, uh. see, the thing is, MMR is the one that you hear from the parents and I'm not going to put aside all these parents coming in and and saying the exact same story over and over again. My kid was, you know, starting to talk, was walking, got the shot. That was it. Never again. Mm-hmm. So the MMR, there's definitely something there. I'm not going to get into it too much because like I say, I'm not as well versed in it as I could be, but there's a ton of stuff out there already on that one. Even the MMR one, if you're on the fence, if you check out Dr. Paul Thomas's work, he's saying that if you even wait till you're like three and a half or four to get that MMR, if you were really, really worried about it, that it's almost a 0% of regression into autism after that critical age of three. Hmm. See, I think that's a really interesting point just because on a recent Joe Rogan episode, he had Dr. Rhonda Patrick on and she's a fairly conventional doctor and he's definitely been shitting on conspiracies in the most recent years (laughs) of his show. But- It was really interesting when vaccines came up because both of them said that they took a really light version of the schedule, that they definitely spaced it out for their kids and only gave them the ones that were most necessary. 
And I was like, oh, that's a real curious thing. Like on one hand, you can laugh at paranoid anti-vaxxers, but then when it comes to your own kids, you didn't follow the CDC's advice. (laughs) That's just it. And you hear, I mean, that's something that I couldn't say yay or nay to, but you do hear a lot of these like medical reporters that have kind of switched or these doctors even that have come over to to the slowing down the schedule. And they'll all say to a person that they're not anti-vaccine, they're just anti-schedule. Right. Got to look at the schedule. I'm sure a lot of that is PR. Well, it's better than nothing, you know? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, they say that there's this giant fucking underground thing of that none of the doctors are even doing it. None of the doctors vaccinate to the schedule. <laughs> Makes sense. The nurses don't vaccinate to the schedule. Now, that's something I can't really corroborate, but it's just something I've heard. Mm-hmm. So do you think people are wising up to this at all? Because it's so difficult to know if the Kool-Aid is just that strong or what's really happening because we're clearly propagandized. And there's a huge PR campaign to get us to go that direction, but it's hard to tell if people are really believing it or if there's some cracks in the story at this point. I'm kind of looking at this as sort of a litmus test because I've only really done it on my show so far. I've done some on my regular show and some of my premium show, which is even less people. Our um, show. Our show, sorry. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> Graham was here. <laughs> he hasn't said much. Our show. So, but our audience sort of knows us and likes us and, you know, there's that sort of home field advantage. So I'm curious to see what kind of feedback I'm going to get from coming on your show. But being on our show, when I talk about it, I get, I would say 10% negative and 90% positive. Mm -hmm. Or if I had to break it down, actually, it'd probably be be easier to say 10% negative, 40% positive and 50% don't give a fuck. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you really don't care unless you got kids. I feel like it's cracking open at the same rate as a lot of other stuff like geoengineering. And I mean, I don't want to use the term chemtrails, but weather modification, let's say. And and like some of your guests like Chris Knowles and Gordon White have been talking about, it's almost like the veil's lifted and this information is out there now. It's no longer able to be hidden from us mm-hmm. and occulted from us. And it's just a matter of time before everybody starts realizing that we're sort of under a bunch of lies and you know that that goes with everything from i think man-made climate change to vaccines and weather modification and ufos i mean the whole you know you had a couple great episodes with those two guys recently and they you know they're talking about they're going to start bringing out the toys from the from the technology (laughs) yeah yeah the deep state toys and stuff like that i mean it, it really feels like it's all happening at once here and i would say vaccines is kind of a part of that But as that happens, it feels like they polarize. So people slide further to one side and and further to the other. And there's less, you know, there's less people in the middle, which, which. Uh, Well, uh, I think, I don't know. Lately, I'm starting to think there's more people in the middle than we think. mm -hmm. The fucking mainstream media is just determined not to let us figure that out. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, On a little, on a quick aside, a little bit of positive information from the current administration is that on January 18th, the Office for Civil Rights has announced a new Conscious and Religious Freedoms Division. So a lot of people in the community are looking at as the first step towards having conscience. Having an out, kind of? Conscience means you can just say, I don't want vaccines and that's good enough. Like right now in a ton of states, that's not good enough. But it looks like federally they're going to start pushing back against that. Wow. Wow. 
That should be interesting. And I mean, normally I'm a, I, I think that the more power to the smaller, the, the divisions, the better probably, but I don't know. Vaccines is one I would accept some sort of federal mandate on, because I mean, I think a lot of the crazy fucking States are fucking it right up. Mm. Like, I mean, California is going to start taking people's kids away to jack them full of fucking needles. Right. And that's so messed up when you, you've already admitted that it will hurt some people. Exactly. I mean, how can you do that? That's right. I mean, if you look at the, I don't have it in front of me, but if you actually, you'd have to ask your doctor. But if you actually ask for the little handout thing, you'll have to unfold it about 60 times and it'll have like a number six pixel font on it. You might need a magnifying glass. <laughs> but if you ask your doctor or your pharmacist for one of those and you go through it, it'll actually have all these little weird side effect possibilities down in the super fine print. Like a bad drug commercial? Yeah, exactly. So here's a little fun experiment. Go to your doctor, ask for all those little handouts on every vaccine that he's going to want to give your kid, and then ask yourself if he's read them. And ask him to read them out to you. Yeah, ask him for the highlights. (laughs) See, that's another great point that you just alluded to, Graham, is Big Pharma can't make any fucking pills without a whole laundry list of side effects, but we think they can make vaccines to put into our newborns? Exactly. Like, what the fuck? I mean, that simply that should cast some doubt because you watch any of these drug commercials, it's like comedy 101. Every amateur comedian has some open mic comment about the side effects of drugs because everybody realizes it. And yet these same companies, we just think when it comes to vaccines, oh, they've got the Midas touch. They can make magic happen, but yet it hasn't spilled over into their main industry, which is the pills. Yeah. And look at the ODs from legal drugs have been more than illegal drugs now for, I think, at least seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, something like that. You know, across that boundary where people are, are dying from legal drugs more. So what the fuck is the drug war all about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Man. Well, I will say that, Darren, on the topic of feedback, Doing this show as long as I have, I am shocked how many controversial topics I can get into and the feedback still remain overwhelmingly positive. Sometimes you focus on the negative because it gets in your head, but when you're really looking at the content of what we do on our shows, it is shocking sometimes that it's so positive. I love it. And that brings me to the point that I do want to get into some other topics, you know, get Graham in here a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's going to be, we should have some fun because one thing I did want to mention before we leave the free show is that Grimerica is usually a lot more fun than this. <laughs> <laughs> Vaccines is kind of something we, we touch on and we, we try, but it's not as much fun as we, we tend to like to have on the show. That is totally fair. I agree, but it is such a serious thing. Lives are at stake, so it's worth dedicating some time to for sure. So man, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Is there anything else to add before we start wrapping it up i think we covered most of it yeah i think so yeah it's just really really great to be on your show and i'm sure we'll make it down there eventually that'd be yeah, great yeah yeah we should matheson's sure. right around there someplace too have you had yeah. him on yet? yeah yeah, yeah had a couple times on, he's eh? great yeah is he local he's pretty local to you i think i think he's a little bit more northern california and california's a hell of a long state so it's oh, several yeah, it's hours huge. but you know he's in the vicinity yeah, if we ever, I'd like to, I wouldn't mind coming down and doing the little California because California is like one of our hugest markets too. So we could, you know, if we ever did do a, a meetup or a conference or something like that, that would probably be the place to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I guess just you know, just check out the show, grimerica.ca and on all the podcast platforms and all that. And you know, we do a value for value as well, similar to Greg, where it's just fully listener supported, no ads and long, long, interesting conversations and that kind of thing, just to plug the show once more. And that's about it, I think. That's the only thing that keeps these shows going. So if you haven't signed up for Plus yet, you probably should. <laughs> Well, right on, guys. This has been a blast. I do think the vaccine topic is super important. It was a good catalyst to get this thing done and worth revisiting since there's a constant stream of brainwashing aimed at pushing us the other way. So thanks for that. Darren and Graham, appreciate it. Hell of a time. Keep doing what you do and stay in touch. Thanks, buddy. Right on, bro. Really appreciate it. You got it. Holy hell and hallelujah, people. Graham and Darren of Gramerica Podcast fame. Dropping knowledge on that sweet, sweet poison. And this is a bit of an odd episode format-wise, because if you've never heard a full two-hour show, you don't really know where the split is. I'm one of the only hosts that just straight talks to people for two hours, and then I just look for a pretty natural cut point. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but so many other shows will say, all right, and that was our first hour. Let's take a quick break and come back to get deeper into X, Y, or Z. Personally, I feel like it disrupts the natural flow of a conversation, but the point is that today is basically one of those types of shows, because at the one-hour mark, it really just turned into a casual conversation between alternative podcasters. I talk about myself a lot, which I don't usually do. No one likes a self-centered host, but I just got too excited having some colleagues of sorts to talk inside baseball with when it comes to running these types of shows. But it was cathartic for me, and I do think the first hour is really solid stuff. Some people might feel like it's review, we've heard vaccine stuff before, but we covered a lot of different vaccines than your typical MMR type of show. And it's also good to have a reminder, since the propaganda push is so strong. Gotta beat back that tide somehow. And I also thought it was really great to get into some of that homeschooling stuff. I didn't even expect that aspect to come up much, but it is pretty interesting to me. I'd love to have gone or to send my future kids to a nature school. That sounds pretty awesome. In fact, look up Russian School Snow on YouTube and you'll find all these videos of first graders walking out for recess in their underwear and rubbing snow all over themselves or dumping buckets of water on themselves in the dead of winter. And they are not really bothered by that cold at all. It's like they really like it. They look forward to it. The teachers and kids say that they do it for their immune systems. One teacher even took it further and said that because we do this, the kids don't get sick. They have great positive energy, they learn more, and they take that energy back to their families who can all benefit from the brightness and cheeriness of a child's personality. I think that's a nice sentiment, instead of nursing kids through sickness after sickness, because I feel like American kids are sick every winter. Flu, chicken pox, something. I mean, there's a lot of faking to get out of that shitty school system, but kids are getting sick quite a bit. But if American kids went out shirtless in the cold, they would be crying. And we don't do much to strengthen our kids. We just coddle them. And I think as a parent, you need to know when to do both. It's kind of sad, those stories you see where a parent let their kid ride a bike two miles home from school or they take the subway home alone 
And Child Protective Services gets called as if taking the leash off your kid is child abuse. You're not even allowed to give them a little freedom and responsibility. We need kids trained for obedience. (laughs) But anyway, I am glad to have finally gotten them on. It's also fun to have two guests, which is pretty rare around here. I would have had them on sooner, but I just have a really hard time setting up an episode of THC that doesn't have a fairly strict focus, and I just never wing it. I think a lot of that stems from the early Higher Side episodes, where it was me and some local comics sitting around bullshitting, and I just don't ever want to go back to that kind of show. But I definitely eased up on that in the second hour today. It's probably good for a change once in a while. Also, we talked about that roundtable podcast with them and Duncan Trussell that I was invited to for the cancer fundraiser for a researcher in our community. And I don't think we said who it was, but it was last year for John Anthony West. And just in the time since recording this show to releasing it, Mr. West has passed. I never got a chance to interview him myself, but he has made some great contributions to Egyptology and his regularly used term, quackademic, will always get a gold star from me. So that is a bummer. And one more point about vaccines, actually. I mentioned in the show a Gardasil whistleblower whose name I couldn't remember, only that she was female. Well, I looked it up, and let me read you some of this from CBS News, of all places. So here it says... Amid questions about the safety of the HPV vaccine Gardasil, one of the lead researchers for the Merck drug is speaking out about its risks, benefits, and aggressive marketing. Dr. Diane Harper says young girls and their parents should receive more complete warnings before receiving the vaccine to prevent cervical cancer. Dr. Harper helped design and carry out the Phase 2 and Phase 3 safety and effectiveness studies to get Gardasil approved and authored many of the published scholarly papers about it. She has been a paid speaker and consultant to Merck. It's highly unusual for a researcher to publicly criticize a medicine or vaccine she helped get approved. So this is a big deal. But Dr. Harper joins a number of consumer watchdogs, vaccine safety advocates, and parents who question the vaccine's risk versus benefit profile. She says data available for Gardasil shows that it lasts five years. There is no data that it remains effective beyond five years. That raises questions about the CDC's recommendation that the series of shots be given to girls as young as 11 years old. If we vaccinate 11-year-olds and the protection doesn't last, we've put them at risk of harm for side effects, small but real, for no benefit, Dr. Harper says. The benefit to public health is nothing. There is no reduction in cervical cancers. They are just postponed. Dr. Scott Ratner and his wife, also a physician, expressed similar concerns as Dr. Harper in an interview with CBS News last year. One of their teenage daughters became severely ill after her first dose of Gardasil. Dr. Ratner says she'd have been better off getting cervical cancer than the vaccination. My daughter went from a varsity lacrosse player to a chronically ill, steroid-dependent patient with autoimmune myofasciitis. I've had to ask myself why I let my eldest of three daughters get an unproven vaccine against a few strains of a non-lethal virus that can be dealt with in more effective ways. Merck and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention maintain that Gardasil is safe and effective and that adequate warnings are provided, cautioning about soreness at the injection site and risk of fainting after vaccination. 
A new study in the Journal of the American Medical Association found while the overall risk of side effects appears to be comparable to other vaccines, Gardasil has a higher incidence of blood clots reported. Merck says it continues to have confidence in Gardasil's safety profile. Merck also said it's looking into cases of ALS, commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, reported after the vaccination. I mean, god damn it. This makes me so angry, just because of the casual tone of Merck and the CDC. Oh, some people are getting ALS after our shots. Man, yeah, we're going to be looking into that. Fuck you guys. Ice buckets may be good for first graders in Russia, but they aren't doing shit for someone who now has ALS their whole life because of your shitty shot. You know, my wife helps with the editing of this show, and on this episode, she was looking up a lot of stuff as she was going through it, and that was kind of her consensus on so many of these vaccines. They're vaccines against viruses that you only have a, like, 1 in 10,000 chance of getting, and then the people who do get it, only, like, 1 out of 1,000 of those people die from it. So, a lot of times, it isn't worth the risk, it doesn't seem. This whole industry, at best, is a corrupt business, and at worst, it's a depopulation agenda. Also, in the show, I had said that in the movie Vaxxed, it states that one in two boys will have some form of autism by 2020. I knew that seemed really hard to believe, so I looked it up, and I was wrong. The stat is still one in two, but it's not 2020, it's 2032, so not much different and scary as hell. And it lines up pretty well with the robots taking our jobs, doesn't it? So if you are feeling that itch, thinking, you know, maybe it is time I pick up THC+. You want to get that second hour? In this show, we talked about the Gramerica guys' favorite guests and topics on their show, some of their dream guests, and the lessons learned from hosting these types of shows. We talked about Graham's UFO experiences with ESETI. I really think I'm going to go and do one of those overnights with them whenever we get time to set it up we also talked about gramerica's balloon camera launch gofundme campaign to solve the flat round earth debate it's happening (laughs) in terms of their shows we talked a little bit about their recent charity fraud episode and what they learned about corruption in that realm we got into suppressed cancer cures a bit We talked about magic and Graham's sigil experiment success, and we just traded stories about what it's like to be conspiracy podcasters and what they think could be better about the higher side chats. We went there, people. So fun stuff after a pretty heavy first hour. If you've been listening to THC, I think it's time you sign up for Plus. You're missing out on half the show. It's easy and convenient, and it's just five bucks or 60 for a year. You get all the archives, all the music. By the way, I did add the latest songs to the list. So if you are looking for those extras and stuff, which there is an exclusive plus episode coming up too that I just booked, which is going to be pretty interesting. But if you're looking for extras, you just go, once you're a member, to the thehiresidechatsplus.com, go up to extras on the menu, and you will see the Armenia videos, one and two, part three. I'm working on it now. You'll see all the music. You'll see a few episodes from the past that were plus exclusive. And you'll get access to the very robust and high level forum that we got going. But I do try to keep it cheap, not trying to be greedy. A small admission fee gets you through the door and keeps this show going. Has for a long time. Commercial free. 
and keeps us focused on interesting stuff coming from interesting guests. The HiresideChatsPlus.com or Patreon now. And if you want some high-quality t-shirts based on Hireside episodes, HiresideClothing.com. I do not mention that enough. It's actually the HiresideClothing.com. I think you can go to either, but I love those shirts. The artwork is great. There's really nothing like them. And of course, check out Gramerica, a different approach to a podcast that fishes in pretty similar pools for its guests. Big thanks again to Darren and Graham, and I'll see you next time. I've done my part. Your move, corporate chemical injectors, CDC scumbags, and villains of the vaccine agenda. Your fucking move. This is important. Hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you. It's not paranoia, not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while I still can to ask you a question. Cause I know your head is still in the sand. Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life. Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway. It's a scary Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know?